Well, I hope uh, you are uh, alert to what God is doing. We're on this journey to joy, a journey to joy. So where are we on our journey? In our uh, reading plan, I hope uh, you're reading with us. We uh, just finished week three, and if you took option one, you read Psalm 122 five times this week. Or if you took option two, this Friday you completed all the Psalms of Ascent. There's 15 of them, so if you read for three weeks, one a day, five days a week, you just completed that. And so this Monday you'll start reading through them again for a second time. And the rest of us will be in Psalm 123 five times. So always something new to see. We're doing it together as a family and uh, not hitting it as a family every every day, but uh, hitting it frequently and reading together. And so this is where we are. Now, these first three Psalms, Psalm 120, 121, 122, uh, they kind of go together. Psalm 120 had us living in Makesh and, and Kadar, and we were surrounded by hostile people, and we were in deep, distressing trouble. Then in Psalm 121, we're on the move. But we are surrounded by mountains around us, mountains in front of us, threats and temptations, uh, burning heat, cold nights, difficult terrain. And finally, here in Psalm 122, we have arrived at our destination, Jerusalem, worshiping in the house of the Lord, in the presence of God, with His people, in His place. So let's look at Psalm 122. Notice what it says. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up. That's our literal word for ascent, as in the title of this psalm. To which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord. An ordinance for Israel. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. For their thrones were set for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls. And prosperity or security within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends. I will now say may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Now, this is a great, is that a great song? I mean, it just starts out so exciting, although it's a little jarring. I was glad when they said to me, sometimes we're sad, you know, when we go to church. Sometimes we're, we're mad when we go to church. Sometimes church is bad, you know, and, 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 and here he's saying, look, I'm glad that they said to me. Well, if you look at the chart there, it, there's a real progression through these three songs and, and, and we've seen how the Lord here us, the Lord helps us, and now we're at the, the Lord's house is welcoming us, and the priests and the people are there, and this song is filled with celebration. Now, Psalm 122 
is kind of a mini overview of our entire journey, our entire pilgrimage. Notice in verse 1, he says, I was glad when they said to him, let us go. So they, ha- they haven't left. Maybe they're in Makesh and, and Kadar. Maybe they're in a hostile and a difficult place. But someone has invited him and said, let's go. And then in verse 2, boom, their feet are standing within the gates. They made it. They made it. The Lord helped them in spite of the threats, in spite of the temptations, in spite of the mountains looming all around them. And then he says, to which the tribes go up. And as I already said, that is our word for a sin. So you get this whole picture. And in a sense, this song begins with joyful anticipation. Just kind of like some of you, we got people on vacation, some of you are leaving for a vacation, you joyfully anticipate going on vacation, and then after you come back, you, you, you reflect, and you kind of remember the memories, and that's what he's doing. It begins with joyful anticipation, and it, re- it ends with reflection on the celebration after they've returned. And basically what he's saying in this, is, look, I went on this journey to joy, and as I look back, it was worth it. It was worth it. I was glad that they invited me to go, and as I look back, it was worth it. And so, good question for us to ask. Will our journey to joy be worth it when we look back? Now, I have the uh, the overview of the song a little bit. The, the thing you want to see, this is a personal recollection. It's a personal recollection of returning from worshiping in God's presence with God's people in God's place. And it really breaks down real simple in three sections. Verse 1 is his passion. The invitation to go and worship was received with great passion, with great gladness. And then in verses 2 through 5, we have the pilgrim's praise, the celebration upon arriving, and he's looking around, and he's looking at the city, and he's looking at the temple. And then it ends in verses 6 through 9 with his prayer, an intercession upon returning from the city where God's presence is worshipped by God's people. Now, in this song, we see Jerusalem is mentioned three times. And the reason that city is so important is for one reason. The house of the Lord is there. Okay, so notice in this song, look in your Bibles, Jerusalem is mentioned three times, house of the Lord is mentioned twice, and it begins with the house of the Lord in verse 1, and it ends with the house of the Lord in verse 9, and in between it talks about Jerusalem because that's where God's presence dwells. In in, 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 and that's where God's people go to worship in God's presence. Now, what's the message of this song? What are we going to look at today? Well, really, is basic, it's simple, it's practical, it comes down to two questions. This song answers two questions that we often take for granted, but we really need to be reminded of. And the first question is this, why should going to church make us glad? Why should going to church make us glad? And what should we do after we leave church? You could just say, why should going to worship make us glad? And what should we do after we leave worship? Now, these are questions for everybody here this morning. Everybody here. It doesn't matter whether you're a new convert or a mature believer, a new member or a longtime member, children, parents. Everybody needs to be reminded of these two things. Why? Why do we go to church? And when we go, 
how, what should we do after we walk out the doors? Basically, how do I enter church and how do I, how do I leave church? Now, I want to take a moment. And you have in your notes, it says, what's the difference between an Israelite going to the house of the Lord under the old covenant and a believer from any people group going to church under the new covenant? I'm going to just really hit this real quickly. We just got, I, I made it as simple as I could, five points, and we're just going to go through this. But I want you to realize we can't just go to the Old Testament and go, oh, you know, Jerusalem. Okay, I mean, you know, if you're going to make a direct correspondence, then where should we be right now? We should be in Jerusalem, right? And we should be looking for the compact city. And we should be looking for the priests. And we better have some animals with us and some birds to sacrifice. So let me give you a couple things. First of all, the church does not simply replace or equal Israel in the New Testament. You can't, it, it isn't like God has set Israel totally aside forever. And now Israel has become the church. So we can't just read these songs and just plug in church and plug in New Testament. But, number two, I want you to realize the principle of worship is the same in both Testaments. And as simple as I can make it, God's people worshiping in God's presence, in God's place. That doesn't change. The principle of the song, the gladness, the celebration, the challenges in order to get to that place, those are still the same. God's people worshiping God's presence in God's place. But, number three, but the house of the Lord is no longer limited, to which we can all say, thank you, Lord. The house of the Lord is no longer limited to one building, the temple, in one place, Jerusalem, in the midst of one people, the people of Israel. Aren't you glad that you don't have to be a Israelite to worship the Lord? Aren't you glad that you don't have to travel to another country? Hey, here's why they only went up three times. Because they're traveling on foot, but they had to go to Jerusalem. And so they only were required by the Lord three times a year. And it was hard for them to do that. Now, can you imagine if we had to go to Jerusalem, how many times would we worship in the presence of the Lord? Not very often. Maybe, you know, it's kind of like uh, Islam. They're lucky to go on one pilgrimage to Mecca, which is kind of their big place to worship in the Lord. And you just get to do that once in a, in a lifetime. And many Muslims don't even get to do it at all. Number four, the reason it's not limited anymore is because God's promise is now partially fulfilled. It's now partially fulfilled in the coming of the King, in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the Christ, who initiated the new covenant. Jesus' death on the cross as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, opened a new and living way. When He rose from the dead with all authority over heaven and earth, guess what? Over heaven and earth. That means we can be anywhere on this planet and we can worship in the presence of God. It opened this up. And here's the implications, number five. The temple, or the house of the Lord, is now focused in at least four areas. First of all, it's focused on the glorified body of our risen and reigning Lord. Jesus said, my body is this temple, and tear this temple down, and in three days I'll build it back up. He's speaking of the resurrection. Where's the temple of the Lord? Jesus is in heaven. That's where the presence of God is dwelling. But also... 
When he went up, he sent his spirit down and he birthed the church. And there's a universal body of Christ, which is the temple of the living Lord. God's presence is all over this planet in every believer from every nation, tribe, and tongue. But a universal church isn't any good. A universal church isn't going to visit you in the hospital. Okay, made some hospital visits this week. Universal church isn't going to pray for you. Universal church isn't going to visit you in the hospital. It's local bodies of believers. Uh, the church is, uh, this local church is considered the temple or the house of the Lord. Why? Because each individual believer has the Holy Spirit in them. Your own body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So all I want you to get is what's happened is Christ has come and made a huge difference in where we go to worship. Now let me give you some implications of that last point. Local church may or not may or may not have a building to gather in. Okay? Many times in Africa the place of worship is under a tree. Hey, I invite you to worship over at this tree. Am I right, Justine? Right there. Or Roger Schmidt and Lynn, their place of worship is on their front porch. Okay, all sitting around. So it may or may not be a building. So that's a big difference from the Old Testament. It may or may not be in the same place each week, but true believers strive to meet in a place in the presence of the Lord as a gathered body, as a local church. May not be able to meet in the same place every week. It may or may not be an established church. The Schmitz in Mozambique, they have uh, uh, unbelievers, new believers. They're not yet a fully organized church, but that's their intention. And they are gathering in order to one day be a fully established, multiplying local church. And it church may not or may or may not be a mega church. It's not about size. It's about why do you come to worship? Who do you worship? And who comes to worship? It's about that. It's not about the size. So, I have a couple verses in your, in your, in your notes there. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, 15 through 16 really kind of brings the New Testament truth. It really exalts what the local church is. Look at verse Timothy 3, 15 through 16 in your notes. But in case I'm a delayed... I write so that you know how you ought to conduct himself in the household of God. The church of the living God. The pillar and the support of truth. He's taking all this terminology of family and temple, building and architecture. And he says, look, we're it. We're it. We are the place. We are the local church. But look at Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. Look at Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Is he talking about physical Jerusalem? No, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to myriads of angels and to the enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge, I'm sorry, the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Wow. What an exalted view. I mean, that should make you glad to come to church. You know, we get too low a view of church. We get too humanized. We get too, too, uh, we take it for granted. That passage says, look, we have this 
spiritual, new, heavenly Jerusalem. There's stuff going on right now, right here in this place that's connected to what's going up in heaven. Now, isn't that wild? I, you know, I don't see myriad of angels here, but they're here and they're connected. And that is what we've come to. Wow, that's good. Okay, now that you have that in your place, let's look at six reasons why we should be glad to go to church. Six reasons why we should be glad. And I really want to focus on that question more than the leaving question. Because if I think if you get this right, you'll know what to do when you leave here. Here's the first reason. Why should I be glad about going to church? The purpose for going should make you glad. The purpose for going should make you glad. Worshiping together unites us under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's all about the fame of His name. Look at, look at that first point. The purpose is stated in verse 4. Look at verse 4. You have all this celebration, this traveling. But look at verse 4. The tribes go up as an ordinance for Israel, but why do they go up? To give thanks to the name of the Lord. That's why you're here. That's why we should be glad to be here. We're making His name famous. And when you give thanks to the name of the Lord, I think of three things. I mean, this is just, when I see something like that in Scripture, here's what I always think, and it's all throughout the Psalms. So what I'm telling you is, is at the heart of biblical worship, we should give glory to who God is. Amen? His greatness, His character, His attributes. Man, my God is great. Let's make much of His greatness. Two, we should get glory for what He does. That's the goodness of God. God, because He's great, does good things for His people. Amen? You just shared some of that. I hope you did at the beginning. Uh, that's what we should be doing. We should be going through the week thinking of the greatness and the goodness of God. And then on Sundays, we should come and say, Hey, let me tell you what God what great things God did for me this week. Oh, I was in the valley. Oh, it wasn't all fun and games, but here's what He did. His greatness didn't change. His goodness to me was still consistent. Amen? And thirdly, to give glory to how He does it. Who He is, what He does, and how does He do it? He does it by His grace. He does it unconditionally. He does it freely. He does it because that's who He is. Man, isn't that great? We come, the purpose for which we come to church is to make much of God's greatness, God's goodness, and God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen. That's the purpose for coming. And doing that, we gather under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is what unites us. We don't just do this willy-nilly. We just don't do this. We do this because we come under the Lordship. Look in verse 5. For their thrones were set for judgment. Thrones of David remind us that the heart of worship is Lordship. Listen, if you're not surrendered to the Lordship of, of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be glad about coming to church. A lot of the problem with trying to get people to come to church is they haven't yet surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. They profess to be Christians, but they haven't surrendered to His Lordship because Lordship is at the heart of worship. We worship in the name of the sinless Son of David who sits at the throne of the right hand of the Father and we come to exalt His Lordship. Wow! United in worship under the Lordship 
of Christ should put an end to all worship wars. Listen to me. This is the practical end, a practical end to this. So often going to church because and we, we, we have battles over, and thank God, God has spared much. Our church in so many, has been so gracious in so many ways. But many churches have wars over the tiles. They have wars over the carpet color. They have wars over personal preferences and service times. My buddy's trying to revitalize a small church up in Trenton. And, and he's trying to get him to look beyond us four and no more. And he says, look, we got to start on time. And they're, they're like, no, we don't want to start on time. We like it this way. You know, and, and so there's going to be division there. Personal preferences, personality differences. Wow. Listen, when we remember that we're coming not because of the style of music, not because of the color of the carpet, not because of who's here, who isn't here. We come not because of who's preaching and who's not preaching. We come for one reason, to the fame of his name. Amen. Isn't that good? And that makes me glad because it, it lifts me up out of the petty. Amen? And into the divine and the sublime and the eternal. So, first reason, the purpose for going makes us glad. Secondly, someone might be saying, Yeah, but Chris, I can worship the fame of his name uh, by myself, in bed, online, or in the woods. But this second purpose takes care or the second reason to be glad takes care of that number two the people who gather together should make us glad the people who gather together here's the awesome principle about worship worshiping together gathers us in community okay this dude you know the famous dude that worships god out in the woods he's not in the bible Okay, he's not there. The the isolationist, the one that says, oh, I just get close to God, fishing and doing all these things. Well, now, believe me, you should look at creation and it should draw you up into worship of the creator. I'm not saying that, but that's not corporate worship. That's not what he's glad about. Look at verses one and two. I have meditated on this so much this week. I'd love it. Look at verses one and two. Worship together is an expression of our relationship with the Lord and our fellowship with one another as His people. In other words, worship is built on two legs. My relationship and our fellowship. That's what makes worship great. So when someone comes and says, I didn't get anything out of worship today, two questions to ask. One, do you have a relationship with God? And how is that relationship? Two... How's your fellowship with the believers in that church? Do you have any unforgiveness going on? Do you have any conflict going on? Listen, when relationship and fellowship is expressed in worship together. Look at verses 1 and 2. I love this. There's a practical progression and joyful expression of community in verses 1 and 2. He says, I was glad when they said to me, there's an I and there's a them. And I was glad when they said to me, and then the me and them becomes a we. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Isn't that good? Not you ought to go. A lot of parents say that to their kids, and then they don't go. Not not we're going, hope you can catch up. No, let's go. because this. And then, I love verse 2, our feet are standing. Not my feet, 
Our feet are standing. Isn't it beautiful? You can just imagine, hey, grab a camel, let's go. We're going to worship in community. And guess what? Even going to church. Now, I know some of you with kids are saying there is no community, fellowship, or anything going on between here and church. Is that, is that ever true? Okay. But it, it, it's still, you're going through the difficulties together. Amen? You're going through the difficulties. So remember that, Ashley and Andrew. Remember that. We are still going together. And it is, I mean, Psalm 120, Psalm 121 tells you it's not going to be easy. Amen? Okay? It's not going to be easy going in community. Traveling together, right, Aaron? When we travel together, we stayed together. It's not always, you know, the different personalities, different things going on, right? But we're in community. This is beautiful. There's a progression here. He has a relationship. They want fellowship. Together, they're at the house of the Lord, which pictures uh, spiritually membership, and it all comes into worship. Second thing I want you to see is community is being united together as worshipers in fellowship as a family. Community is being united together as worshipers in fellowship as a family. This comes from verses 3 and 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, okay, to which the tribes go, even the tribes of the Lord. Notice it's the tribes of the Lord. Our unity is not based on earthly things. It's based on our relationship with the Lord, okay? So these aren't the tribes of the royals and the chiefs or whatever personal cliques we have. It's the tribes of the Lord. But notice the city is compact together, Now, there's a lot of different translations of this verse, but the idea is this. It's not just the physical architecture and layout of Jerusalem. The idea, there's a spiritual sense of community. The point is, in this city of Jerusalem, there is the temple. And everybody is seeking to get as close to the presence of God as possible. And therefore, it's built tightly and compact and connected. Because here's the point. The more you strive to get closer to God, and the more you strive to get closer to God, and the more you strive to get closer to God, guess what? We get closer to who? Each other. Do you see the idea? Do you see the idea? The idea, he's saying, look, man, here's the presence of God, and look at these people packed in there. It's community. It's fellowship. We're united together. Wow. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 2.4. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 2.4. Here's the spiritual application of this psalm in the New Testament. Because I want you to see this is fulfilled in the New Testament. Look at 1 Peter 2.4. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5. 1 Peter. And coming to Him... As to a living stone which has been rejected by men, Israel reject Jesus as Messiah, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. The idea is God is taking His people and He We're born again spiritually, and He moves us together. He builds us up together all around the fame of His name. 
And so there's the fellowship in verses 3 and 4. But look at verse 8. Here's the idea of being a spiritual family. For the sake of my brothers and my friends. Now at our church, we have four levels of community that... That you can find worship, that you can worship through and find fellowship in. The first is the congregation. That's the widest, right? That's where we're all there. I kind of think of that as the family reunion. Uh, you got the crazy uncle that's there. You got little kids running around. Everybody's there. That's the congregation. Then you have the class, which is our discovery hour. Classes that are age graded. This is a class. You get a little coffee, you get a little donuts, you have a round table, you interact a little bit. It's a little closer and it's time for instruction. Then we have the cell. That's our small groups, our grow group ministry. Then you're looking at, you're in a house. It's a little different environment. It, 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 you can break up prayer, men and women, a little closer fellowship. And then you have the cord. The Bible says a threefold cord is not easily broken. That's one-on-one discipleship. You and a same-sex person uh, there, a male with male, female with female, and the Lord is that third member. These are ways that you can experience worship. Now, and that should make you glad. Third, there's a third reason why we should be glad in the verses. Not only the purpose for which we come, not only the people that we gather with, but number three, the pleasure of our God should make us glad. The pleasure of our God, pleasing Him, is why we are glad to come to church. Here's the principle. Worshiping together obeys God's covenant commands and fulfills our covenant commitment. This is clear in verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, The reason the tribes go up is an ordinance for Israel. Now, a couple things, a couple principles here. First of all, bringing pleasure to Him as our God should make make us glad. In other words, He has commanded us to go that is what his will is that is what his pleasure is therefore man i'm all in are you with me in other words a lot of times what we do is we look at church going to church is such an optional thing that is based on whether i want to or not and the reality is look we're commanded to worship together as his people and it brings god's pleasure and so look look i should be all about pleasing him not trying to please me look back at first peter again look at first peter 2 again and let's look at verse 5 first peter 2 verse 5 yes we're built up for fellowship as spiritual house for a holy priesthood, but notice, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to who? To God. So the issue is not whether I like the music, it's what does God like. The issue is not whether I like the color carpet, but whether God likes the color carpet. And once you ask that question, it sounds so ridiculous, you realize it's not about the color of the carpet. And when you go around the world and look at styles of music, you figure out real quick, it's not about the style of the music. It's about Him. It's about pleasing Him. It's about offering up all that we do to please Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. John Piper reminds us. So, what brings God's pleasure and what makes Him glad? Well, let me give you two 
two, two principles under that. First of all, keeping our promise to worship Him as our God brings Him pleasure. Keeping our promise. You said, I don't remember promising God to worship Him at a local church. Oh, you made that promise when you accepted Him. You made that promise when you were baptized and identified with Him and identified with a local church. When you did that, you said, Lord, these are the people I'm going to identify with. These are the people I'm going to worship with. These are the people I'm on journey, on this journey to joy. One of the clearest commands in the New Testament about worshiping and not forsaking it is Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. There's the command. As is the habit of some. Boy, it's dangerous to get in the habit of not attending church. It's a hard habit to break. It's a bad habit and it's hard to break. But once you establish the habit of going, that's a good habit. And it keeps you where you need to be. Not, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day draws near. So that's the first thing. Secondly, proclaiming His glory makes God happy. Proclaiming His glory. So we come to proclaim His glory. And this gives pleasure to Him. And guess what? It makes Him known. Listen, here's what I want you to get on this. One of the simplest ways you witness to the people around you, whether it's at work, at home, your family, your spouse, it doesn't matter. One of the simplest ways is being glad about going to church on a weekly basis. You see, when I get in my car every Sunday morning and I drive down our neighborhood, sadly, my neighbors are witnesses. They're great witnesses. Because as I drive down my street and see house after house, car after car, sitting in driveways, houses dark, people I know are sleeping on Sunday morning. They are witnessing. And what they are witnessing to is their God or the concept of God that they have is not worthy of being praised. He's not worthy of gathering in the midst of his people. They're witnessing that their value and priorities and worth as they view God, and they may have a wrong conception of Him, but their testimony is not worthy. Not worthy. And yet when we get up and we go against the stream and we come on a weekly basis and we come not out of drudgery or duty but out of joy and delight, that doesn't mean we're always happy, happy. It just means we know where we need to be, and we're glad to be there. And we are witnessing that our God is worthy. And once a week, we're making a statement. That, man, that God who created heaven and earth in six days and rested on the, on the seventh day and then made a new creation on the eighth day, we're worshiping on that eighth day because the new creation has come. And we're witnessing, we're proclaiming that I was once not part of His people, but now I am. I once didn't have mercy, but now I have mercy. And so I want to go where that's being glorified, sung about. Amen? Man, woo, I'm excited. Number four. Number four, why should we be glad? 
the perspective that's gained when we worship together should make us glad. The perspective that is gained should make us glad. Worshiping together provides us with divine counsel. You say, where's that? Verse 5. Look at verse 5. For the thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Now, the key here is this word judgment. You say, what's he talking about? I thought he was going to go worship. Yeah, and he's worshiping where the king, where God's king and mediator sits and where he gives wisdom on difficult decisions. So you would have problems maybe way out in, uh, in Bethel, Beth, Bethel or wherever, some Jewish city. And if you couldn't get them settled, you'd come to Jerusalem three times a year. And when you come, you would give them. And if they were, if they were difficult enough, they'd go up the hierarchy. And, and like King Solomon made that decision between two women that were fighting over whose kid their kid was. And he made a wise decision. He made a wise judgment. So here's the idea. In the New Covenant, we don't come to an earthly king or president or political system for answers to our problems. We come to hear the Word of God preached by God's men in in the power of God's Spirit to gain a new perspective on life's problems. Amen? And that's what worship should do. Worship should give us a new perspective. So here's what I want you to see. Worship in verse 4, giving thanks to the name of the Lord, leads into wisdom in verse 5. So let me give you two principles. Worship provides us with greater wisdom. I don't know how many times I can be down, I can have a negative perspective, I can look at things the wrong way throughout the week, and then I come here... And the singing gives me a new perspective. The teaching, the preaching gives me a new perspective. And I come and I get a perspective you can't get on Fox News. You can't get on CNN. You can't get on MSNBC. You can't get it on your phone in the sense of worldly wisdom. You get a different perspective. Worship gives us a different perspective. And then secondly, wisdom points us towards deeper worship. Wisdom points us. The Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So here's what should happen. We in our worship, we should come here to get a greater fear of the greatness, the goodness, and the grace of God. A fear that says, you're God, I'm not, I better come and submit myself to you. A fear that says, I can't do what you can do, so I'm going to put my faith in you. A fear that says, I can't imagine such love, such sovereignty, such power. And wisdom says, look, this is the God that you're going to worship. I think I have it in your notes. Psalm 111 verse 10 brings this all together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Wow. We have a different perspective when we gather together, and that should make us glad. Number five, the promise that is guaranteed should make us glad. The promise that is guaranteed. Worshiping together focuses on the second coming 
the kingdom conquest and the new creation. Listen, as you look at verse 5, he talks about the thrones of David. And that just reminds us of one thing. That one day, one day, the king's going to come. And when he comes, his throne in heaven is going to be a literal throne here on earth. And when he comes, all the justice we're crying for is going to be laid out. And all the lives and all our deeds are going to be reflected and judged and evaluated. And only those who have accepted Christ as Savior before that time are going to be welcomed into the kingdom. That's why in Matthew 26 we say, uh, or in Matthew 26, Jesus said about the Lord's Supper, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, it's not just a look past to the cross, it's a look forward to that day when the King comes. And Jesus says, I ain't drinking it again until I drink it with you new in the kingdom. Man, that's just cool. He's coming. And it's guaranteed. And then number six, the peace that is given should make us glad. The peace that is given should make us glad. Worshiping together gives us peace in the midst of growing conflict. Two things are ha- happening are going to happen in the future. As persecution increases, churches are going to shrink. Okay, because all the, the phonies are going to flee. At the same time, churches are going to grow because the place to find peace and security in this world is going to be among God's people. Amen? That's what's going to happen. Now, basically that peace is laid out for us in verses 6 through 9. And basically, 6 through 9 is him, he's back home, he's gone to Jerusalem. In our case, we've gone to church, we've worshipped the Lord, And we've been glad about it for these six reasons. But now it's time to leave because Monday's coming. Amen? Yeah, unfortunately, right? Monday's coming. Now, do we put our head down, hunker through, and then pop back up on Sunday? Or should what we do here today have an impact Monday through Saturday? Well... There's three things that you should do after leaving church, and let me just give these to you. First of all, pray for the Prince of Peace to come again and bring peace to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has anything but peace right now. It's a city divided in three parts, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. You take a trip to Jerusalem today, first of all, you've got to find out, is there a security risk you know is there a security threat where can i go where can i can't go oh we were going to go over here but we can't go that there's no peace in jerusalem and that means for us as christians it's hard to go there to worship the lord on a jerusalem tour because things aren't stable things aren't secure so he says to him look pray for the peace of jerusalem Because this is where God's presence dwells. This is where God's people are going to come. And it needs to be safe and secure. Well, here's here's the reality. Until the Prince of Peace comes, there will be no peace in this world. And let me bring it down. Until the Prince of Peace comes to your heart, there will be no peace in your heart. Okay? And so, the way we pray for the peace of Jerusalem is not that the Israelites 
kick the Arabs' butts or that the Arabs get judged for being bad people. No, they're all unbelieving right now. Majority of Israelites, majority, obviously Muslims, they're unbelieving in the one true God. We pray for the Prince of Peace to come, and He will save the nation of Israel. And all those that cry out to Him, He will bring peace to His kingdom. So pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First Timothy 2 tells us the first thing that ought to be done in our worship services is praying that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity, that the gospel may be spread, that the gospel may be spread. So that's number one, pray. Number two, proclaim the gospel of peace to others. I love what he says in verse 8. He says, look, the reason I want Jerusalem to be at peace is because I want my brothers and family and friends to be able to worship there. Listen, when we leave, we ought to have at our, as our heartbeat I want others to know God like I know Him. I want others to experience worship at Glenwood like I experience. I care about my family and friends, and so I'm going to proclaim the gospel of peace to them. Number three, pursue what will bring God the greatest glory and His people the greatest good while seeking to live in peace with all people. I love how it ends in verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord, for the sake of God's presence, I will seek your good. Meaning, I'm going to do what's ever best for Jerusalem because that's where God dwells. Well, listen to me. We ought to leave this place saying, I'm going to do whatever's going to bring God the greatest glory this week. I'm going to do whatever's in the best interest of Glenwood, my local church this week. I'm going to do what will make spread the fame of his name and i'm going to live at peace as much as i can with all people but at the number one priority of my life is going to be spreading the fame of his name inviting other people encouraging other people hey you know what politics this stuff i mean it's only going to get worse till november and we need to speak into it we need to speak into the political process. If we stay quiet, who's going to be there talking? we got to speak into it. But it takes the perspective of worship so that we're wise when we speak into it. Does that make sense? And we're not always going to do it perfectly. I'm not always going to do it perfectly. But I want to bring to the discussion not just red and blue, Democrat, Independent, Republican. I want to bring, okay, now as God's people... What will bring him the greatest glory? What will be the greatest good? This election has a lot to say about what may be in the best interest for God's people. Laws of this country, Supreme Court judges, those decisions. Hey, if we sit on the sidelines, then we, should be, we shouldn't gripe about what comes down the pike, okay? So we need to inject ourselves into this, and yet knowing that our ultimate hope is who? Amen? Does it make sense? Pray, proclaim, and pursue when you leave. Man, I love it. Did you love this song? Was this good? Take these six reasons. Take these six reasons and be intentional in your worship. But also pray for our church. Would you pray for our church in the weeks to come, months to come, years to come? 
that worship at our church, we would be glad worshipers. Amen? Not grumpy ones. Not whiny ones. Not petty ones. But we would be glad when they say to us, let us go to Glenwood and let's worship together in the presence of God with God's people at God's place at this time. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you. This, 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 passage, this was encouraging to me this week. Even as a pastor, vocational minister, i got to be reminded of why do I do what I do and what should I be doing after I leave. And it's not just getting another message ready. And Lord, already burdens of Monday are seeping in. But at the same time, Lord, we should be glad to be here. And I pray that this has been an encouragement to those that are hurting, those whose perspective, because of trials might be discouraged, depressed, or even distorted, and that we would see that as we focus on you, we get a new perspective, and we get to do what pleases you, and we get to be with your people and your place. And for this time, we get to do it without persecution. Lord, may we strengthen the habit so that when the difficulties do come, we'll be strong in you. In Jesus' name, may the Prince of Peace bring peace. Come, Lord Jesus. And the bride says, come. Even so, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Spread the peace.